Our next guest left a cush job in the energy sector working for BP to go on and invent a fully functional jet suit. Yes, you heard me correctly, a fucking jet suit. He started Gravity Industries, an aeronautical innovation company that set out to make the world's first jet suit in 2017. After many variations and iterations over the years, it's now a site worthy of being in the next futuristic James Bond movie with its modern and elite performance aesthetic. Not to mention he was a Royal Marine reservist, an ultra marathon runner, had a phenomenal TEDx talk, and holds a Guinness Book of World Records to his name. His life portfolio is an A++. He is the real life Tony Stark and I am certain that he's going to be a historical innovative figure in the future that generations to come will learn about in school. Please welcome our next guest to the show, Richard Browning. So by the time we got to 2017, uh, we launched the company in April, April Fool's Day, actually 2017. Uh, it went kind of crazy. And yeah, since then, we've done 225 events in 38 countries. We've got collaborations with seven different militaries. Um, we've uh, somewhat launched our race series, although COVID slowed that down. Um, we've trained over 500 people to varying degrees to fly. We've got a team of 20 people. We're actually a profitable company, crazily enough. Um, and there's a fun, there's a fun accidental raise back in 2017, and we haven't raised money since then. Um, so yeah, it, it's now there is actually not only is it a profitable company, but actually there is a whole entertainment division and a very serious paramedic and military uh, mobility um, division, which I think we've got so far to go with that. I mean, the, the the stuff we've done, some of it public, not a lot of it public, with various different special forces all over the world is just crazy. I mean, I oh, I obviously believe in what we do, but I come away from those things going, holy, you know, <laughs> holy crap, I can't believe we can actually go and do that. I mean, the, one of the recent paramedic of um, flights was a really good example of that. You know, we obviously turned up knowing what we could do, but I got to, I did that 2000 foot climb and 1.2 miles kind of horizontally in bad weather, fog, rain and whatever. And I did it in three and a half minutes. Oh um, now nothing on the planet can do that because I mean, I suppose some military helicopters could have got through the fog and the wind and the rain and stuff, but all the medic ones can't. Um, so yeah, there's some pretty crazy stuff out there that we've been able to do. Uh, I read your book and I have to say your story of how you got to where you are is one of the more inspiring ones because a lot of people, not a lot of people, but there is a, a sub factor of people that come up in the world and that do incredible things that come from like nothing. They didn't have a good job. They didn't have a family and all of these things. And they really didn't have distractions. You, on the other hand, pretty much built your whole life, a really good life. It seemed in the book. And you kind of had to like reverse engineer the process of the startup journey. And that was pretty interesting for me to read because I'm kind of in the same position. And, uh, it, it's it's fascinating. So those early years of building the suit and getting all the things to work and like figuring out and engineering the foot placement at first and realizing that your feet are unstable and unreliable in flight and you know having to reposition it and just the way your brain works is really fascinating to me personally. So can you talk about maybe those early stages of the startup journey? Uh, take a little bit different angle than probably a lot of people want to talk about the suit, the all the future, and we'll hopefully get yeah. there. But I'm really fascinated with that those process of how you built not only just engineering the first jet suit, but also a company based around this that's now profitable in five years. 
Yeah, I, I mean, that's that's kind of cool to mention it, really. I mean, yeah, everybody gets very excited about flying around like a superhero, and that was not the intention, but it's cool that people make that link. Um, but actually, yes, the, the less glamorous, but thing I'm almost more proud of is indeed turning a ludicrous idea like this into something that's now a profitable business that employs a bunch of people that's, you know, changing the game in a, in a number of industries. Because, you know, you can see any number of crazy inventions on YouTube that, you know, enjoy a few million hits and then go away. And, you know, that plumber or retiree or, you know, homemaker or whatever, brilliant, they've done that, but they've not gone and created any longevity out of it. And I was very eager to try and do that. Um, and that has been really hard. I mean, I, I employed a lot of experience in business that I had from, you know, running a trading book. Strangely enough, that's about making lots of mistakes, but hopefully on our on aggregate, enough of the risks you've taken um, aren't going to drag you down. And on average, you head in the upwards direction. That's the idea of a trading book. And actually, that feels very like doing what we do. Uh, it's all about managing downside risk, really. Um, but yeah, I had a weird perspective because, you know, I experienced, as it says in the book, you know, I experienced um, this journey once already with my father who lived that classic entrepreneur's dream of it's going to be amazing and glitzy and glamorous and it's going to be cool and watching all the, you know, everything you can imagine and more go wrong. And, you know, we, we've engineered our company to be able to survive all that. Anybody listening to this who's set up their own business, you know, that will resonate. It's amazing how much stuff, how many headwinds you have to kind of overcome. Uh, you know, and unfortunately, a lot of businesses don't work out and his didn't work out and it cost him his life in the end. You know, he took his own life because of the the, the downside just wasn't survivable in, the, in an ultimate kind of way. So it sort of very painfully taught me a lesson when I was 15 of, yeah, have the have the crazy dreams and everybody needs those to be able to go and, you know, achieve unusual things. Um, but you've just got to make that journey recoverable. And I mean, financially, um, you know, safety wise and reputationally and every move you make as far as possible, you've got to plan for that not working out. And I guess, you know, my father did his best to do that. But in the environment, you know, when he was operating, it was, you know, quite some time ago now. And uh, it was pretty hard to do that. And so, yes, I built a successful career in, in business and, and learned lots of lessons and, and accumulated some resources. But my God, it was painful and stressful and really difficult to wrench myself away from that comfort zone and sort of put it all at risk well no put it all at risk for for pursuing something as mad as this and it took a lot of support from my family and an awful lot of self-belief but also massively not believing it fully myself but it's very difficult uh, all like all I can offer is that you just have to yeah all, all I can offer is just just have to keep planning what's the worst that can happen and can I really live with that can I get back up again you know innovation is all about relentlessly failing at things in the pursuit yes. of that breakthrough and if the first couple of failures drag you down or kill you or put you in prison it's not really how it's going to work right. um so uh, yes it's tough it's kind of interesting because i feel like you know going back on the point uh quickly with your father uh it's it's a very tough story it's one that resonates with me uh with a similar uh situation in kind of my childhood um it really is almost a driving force in a lot of ways too. Uh, if you have the mindset to like springboard off of those hardships and we really do live in a very unique time where technology and innovation can meet at this peak top point where things can really drive forward at scale. And I feel like, you know, something is as sophisticated as your suit the technology just probably, you know, I know I'm assuming your father wasn't trying the jet suit, but other things probably similar in his in his world, like at scale, they didn't have mm. the capabilities we do now, not to mention the ability to share it online with social media, get essentially oh, marketing. It's, 
it's incredible yeah, where we are. It is. It's not, I mean, it's, it's daunting, I think, to young people nowadays to kind of um, look around. I mean, I, I marvel at my, my, my team are all, I'm 43. My team are all in their sort of mid, late twenties. Right. And mm. they, they don't okay. see anything as impossible because there's probably a YouTube film yeah. around that can probably show you how to build it, make it, take it apart. It's just your motivation and your time and your energy. That's all that's limiting. I mean, I remember when I was a kid, you have to go to a library to find a book, which nine and a half times out of 10 was not at all relevant to what you were trying to do. <laughs> it's amazing to think how it's come. But yeah, back to your first point, though, I do think adversity and it's, you know, it's a, it's a misery, misery of the human condition, but adversity does generate a fight or flight kind of response. And, you know, you, you never wish it upon anybody, but when it happens, you either do disappear in a bit of a hole or you look at life and think, well, I'm not sure anything could be as bad as that. I'm going to run at it really hard now. Some people could say run away, uh, but I'm going to run really hard at it and try and take on every challenge that's going and not really feel daunted by it. And I think I luckily just took the latter really. And I, I'm not very good at sitting still on a beach. Um, I'm, <laughs> I'm very good at just running hard at the next mountaintop, which I've tried to get better at absorbing and appreciating the past mountaintops. But I think uh, a lot of us aren't very good at that. But um, yeah, I, I, but yes, this, this world, this environment, oh my God, it is, it is truly phenomenal. And you're right. It was a confluence of technologies that were sitting there waiting to be exploited in a way no one would be yeah. mad enough to imagine. Um, but that is at the core of, of most technology breakthrough, break, breakthroughs, you know, um, I mean, you could argue, you know, I mean, we've got two Teslas. Uh, I don't want to sound unfair, but, you know, the electric motors and the batteries in the early Teslas, especially, I don't think it's fair. I think it's fair to say were not like custom breakthroughs. They, they were relatively right. available, but no one had put together the marketing and the user feel and the, the package as brilliantly as Tesla has done. And um you know, you don't start from scratch. I mean, I, we used to delight in using child backpack carriers. You know, you take your toddler for a hike, right. you know, with, with their head here. We used to use those as our backpack structure back in 2016 and even <laughs> oh, bit of 2017. Because wow. why bother going and building a lightweight, strong mm -hmm. structure that can take a, a weight roughly the equivalent of a toddler? Now, we'd weave a climbing harness through it. So you were being lifted by that. Mm -hmm. um, but actually, what a great, you know, $100 solution to something that could take you hundreds Absolutely. of thousands of dollars to even get close to making as light and as comfortable. Um, so yeah, no, I, I agree. It's an amazing time now. And, and with that hardware company in just a few years now, you've got all this innovation. Uh, so, so, I mean, it's, it's very visible. The, yeah. In terms of, I, I mean, I, I do passionately believe in this, in this innovation thing. And I, I experienced, you know, the classic big corporate take on innovation when I, you know, was in the big corporate world for 16 years. And, you know, I get that you can't be as nimble as a startup, but it was immensely frustrating. And that, you know, I, I'm, liberated now to be able to iterate our systems on a sort of i don't know 10 day basis so you know we have some ideas we change the cad files we 3d print it pretty much everything we do so that appears wow. either in our printers or the big industrial ones in fact there's one hiding behind me little one um within hours or a few days and then we go fly that change and then immediately come up with new ideas so in the time it probably takes for a pa to organize the you know design team's next quarterly meeting we've gone and done probably, you know, half a dozen more iterations. So, um, yeah, it, it, our, our pace of change is, and it, you know, it's not at all slow and it's actually increased over the uh, years as well. So, I you know, we've that. got, good. yeah, we, we've got amazing new breakthroughs coming. So it's like streamlined from like your head to the drawing board and then to actually putting ideas 
into you know an engineering in the little mini projects and iterations of whatever components you're working on etc um that's crazy that's yeah awesome and actually even even better than that because people say oh how many versions have we done i mean and that belies a probably misunderstanding of how you can truly operate because actually we'll have at any one time probably almost a dozen different sub projects going so we'll have you wow. know a different way of measuring the fuel alongside a different way of managing the angle of the engines alongside a different material for um i don't know printing with alongside you know i don't know a different way to manage the heat around the nozzles um all of these will run in parallel and some will go really quick some will be disappointing some will unlock new areas some will need to be pivoted right. uh, and so uh, they're all like rushing along like graphic equalizers on a 1980s stereo and you're nudging my job really is now <laughs> to nudge each one as much as i can and every now and then we'll go bing or every now and then when the knob will fall off and you'll think well that's a waste of time we've learned something and then we'll move on to the next one this lab behind me is surrounded by the the skeletons of those learning journeys let's put it positively uh, but as a, a on aggregate Every now and then, one of these will appear, like I say, sitting there. One of them will appear as the latest printed file, and we'll go fly it, and we'll just learn a ton within an hour, which will all go back into the next iterations of each one of those 12 projects. So, yeah, it's this constantly evolving organic soup of progress. It's really exciting. Can you talk about some of the upcoming innovations? Um, yeah, so uh, some of the upcoming innovations. So. Yeah, I mean, uh, one that's coming soon is that rather than having one big engine on the back, and, and to be clear, it was roughly a third of the power on each. So a third, a third, and a third. So the three-legged camera tripod, you know, arms, arms, and rear. Um, we are cranking up the power on the back, but changing the angle of that and also moving away from one big engine because um, we've come up with a system that can use all one engine type. So you only need one engine type as a spares because... Another ridiculous reality of these systems are they all pack into two check-in suitcases, like instant little check-in suitcases, and you can travel anywhere in the world. I just came back from New York uh, 36 hours ago, and I'm off to, um, I don't know where, Spain, and then the East Coast, and then LA, all in the next two weeks on various events. So it all just goes into check-in baggage, and then you get some diesel or jet fuel from your location you're going to, um, and that's it. You can go hence 38 countries that we've flown in. Uh, but to keep it like that, um, we ideally are moving towards having one spare engine type rather than two different types of engines because then if one, you know, you've got to carry more spares. Uh, but the other advantage is, and this is truly ludicrous, the current suit starts from cold to get ready to fly in about 45 seconds, which compared to the slow wind-up of a helicopter or a private jet is like ridiculously fast. We've now got that down to closer to 15 seconds. So I could be putting the suit on, I could put it on in about 10 seconds. I could keep talking to you, I could go boop, and then my hands would be free as they start up. And then within 15 seconds, which is, you know, we probably, I've probably just talked for another 10 seconds. So by the time I finished talking about right. now, I'd be taking off, That's which so is ridiculous. Cool. I mean, it's not quite the Tony Stark instant and go, but you're getting quite outrageously close to that. Um, so that, those are just some of the examples. Can you talk about that story of the TEDx, like your first overseas trip, like someone invited you, I believe, to come talk at a conference and live demo uh, where you were in that iteration and the complexities just getting to the stage. Please, can you uh, tell the listeners who haven't heard that yeah. story this one? It's very so we, cool. we launched the company in April 2017 and I got amongst the thousands of sort of inbound emails and media calls, I got a call from Chris Anderson who runs 10. It is the I say so. I've done some TEDx talks, but this was the big one in Vancouver. The, you know, the kind of that they, you know, no no pressure, but they said I was on the same day as Elon Musk and the Pope. Uh, although the Pope dialed in, which is quite funny. Wow. Um, but anyway, it was, I'd listened to TED talks forever at that point. I used to do, you know, I used to listen running uh, to TED talks. I thought it, I did feel like it was a bit of a, a bat, uh, 
what I want to say, not baptism of fire, but it did feel like that as well. It was a bit like a sort of <laughs> rite of passage, you know, for any innovator to do a TED talk at those at those days. So I was, I was like, wow, I want to go and do that. And then one of the other inbounds had come from a uh, group called the, um, uh, it was called, uh, it was a VC group called Boost VC down in San Francisco mm-hmm. from a guy called Adam Draper. And um, I put two and two together and I, and I convinced them in the end that they would pay my travel to go to San Francisco. And from San Francisco, not very local, I agree, I then traveled to Vancouver because I thought I could test the gear before I do it. You know, I'd only ever flown it in this uh-huh. farmyard, like a few feet off the ground. And and I just said yes to not only doing a TED talk, but also flying afterwards, which sounded like a great idea for a few seconds and then like a terrible idea. So I thought <laughs> if I fall over at that event and that doesn't work, that's the end of this journey. Um, so I, I went to, you know, got, got all the gear on the plane. That was a nightmare. I realized there was something called luggage allowance, weight allowance and the size <laughs> allowance and all this kind of stuff. And I had to repack all the cases. It's all in the book. I had to repack the cases that he throw, you know, on the floor. It wasn't a good start. Um, ah, oh, anyway, I got there and I had to do a lot of work all night to get the suit kind of working. Cause it was still a bit of a shambles. I flew in the Booster VC parking lot like they asked me to. And there was like, I don't know, probably 50, 60 VCs there as a bit of an open day. And I was just distracted by, oh, my God, I've got to go now pack it up and take it to Vancouver and do a TED talk and then fly it again. Uh, but Adam rushed up with a tall, skinny old guy, or not all that old guy, uh, who turned out to be his father, Tim Draper, a very famous VC in the Valley. And uh, to cut a long story short, they lost their minds and offered me a $650,000 VC investment. It was, half, it was half a million, and I haggled them to six fifty for ten percent of the company I just formed, and they wow. signed it on a hundred dollar bill, which is stuck in our lab wall. So that, so that cool. was our that was our last investment, uh, completely un, unintended. In fact, we're kicking off a um, another round probably in the next three months, and it looks like the Drapers are back in again, which is very nice of them. Um, anyway, then I went to Vancouver, um, had to run around, find some jet fuel from Harbor Air. If you know Harbor Air in Vancouver, they're the ones that run the twin otters and all those lovely yes. seaplanes out and i literally walked down with a rally fuel bag and said look i've got a really weird request can i buy some jet fuel from you and they were like okay <laughs> so uh i <laughs> filled my fuel bag yeah no exactly it was such a weird request and then i walked back into the convention center with a five gallon bag of jet fuel uh, again, I, oper- I operate in a world where no one's even thought of probably putting in place some rules to say they shouldn't do that. <laughs> anyway, it's fine. And then um, I had my little had my little setup room, and um, I was getting all the gear together and wandered around the convention center because I didn't I was on for a couple of days, and I noticed a uh, sort of gingery haired guy with a very loud sort of bomber jacket thing on, and it was Adam Savage from MythBusters, and I tapped yeah, him on wow. the shoulder and said, "Hey, I love what you do. Do you want to come and be my ground support for this jet suit thing?" And he'd already seen it online and dumped the massive conversation he's having with about 20 people and rushed off with me to go and be my ground support. And so if you look at the footage, I'm going to this. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's very kind of him. Um, so yeah, he hung out with me for a few days. He's a really good friend now and I've done subsequent TV things with him. But um, if you look at the Ted film, you can see Adam Savage standing with his back to the camera as being my yes. ground support, just helping me out. And you know, wow. what better ground support guy. And we travel now with a ground support person, usually just to help out. But yeah, he was my very first ground support person. So it was a bit of a roller coaster of, of, of uh, two weeks, but it all went great. And yeah, we haven't looked back. So going from that initial investment, now are you, now are you, you're, you said you're profitable. How long did it take you and what like steps did you take to, to get the company to profitability and without any further investments? Like how did you manage that initial investment to become such a successful company in such a short period of time yeah I, I mean i think firstly by being very frugal we didn't get carried away with ourselves um we also a- applied the same innovative you know small 
learning journey, small fa- small recoverable failures kind of mentality to the commercial side of the business. Um, we would we would rather than you know do a nice snazzy render of showing what we could do in so in I don't know paramedics or military worlds, we'd actually go and do it as far as possible. Um, and that I think built us a really nice reputation of sort of walking the walk rather than talking the talk. And yeah, we just got run off our feet with events. Um, and we'd go and try things. Like I had a vision at one point that I thought that air shows could be a, a nice sort of win-win of, you know, get some public engagement, get some great social media, sure. you know, bag some money for entertaining the crowds. And we'd have a traveling tour bus around America doing things like Oshkosh and stuff like that. Um, no, Turned out not. I mean, maybe it would still work in the US, but um, I, it doesn't work anywhere I found because air shows are mostly the domain of militaries who charge nothing or very little um, to show off as an advertise, advertisement for joining their air, their air force. You know, the Red Arrows or the you know the Golden Eagles, or whatever. Um, is it Blue Eagles, Golden Eagles? I can't remember. You're, you're, you've got various ones in Blue the US. Um, yeah, they Blue charge Eagles. like. Blue Angels, there we go. I, I, if they're anything like the Red There's Arrows, they will charge virtually. colors, so yeah. You're, you're... Yeah, <laughs> it's, a, it's a color and an animal. Um, <laughs> um, and the other community, without being unfair, is often wealthy guys showing off their shiny Mustangs and Spitfires, uh-huh. and they don't really charge much either. So we've done a few air shows, but we were sponsored, and we bagged quite a lot of money. But that was a really interesting example of, did we go and, you know, throw a million dollars into a traveling team and tour bus and then go, Oh, we're not making any money out of this. No, we just did a few air shows that happened to be sponsored, learned that journey, learned that lesson and didn't really lose anything and then moved off and did other things. So <clears throat> we've ended up with, even before COVID, we ended up with a really healthy portfolio of everything from client training, you know, come along, you can still do this. We're setting up a couple of locations in the U S actually. Um, but for four years, we've had clients flying from all over the world into the UK near London and, clip in and learn to fly these you know either a, either a half day experience or a full day actual flight training and that's been a great money earner connected okay. us with some amazing people and allowed us to refine the technology to make it ever easier to fly like i say my kids can fly perfectly fine now um uh, that that's been a whole division of the company doing sponsored stuff doing branded events doing you know jeff bezos's event recently for mars um you know oh, so uh, opening the japanese baseball season before covid hundred thousand people you know three million people Sorry. on tv and i mean you name it we've been all over the world again because it packs into those suitcases and it's very easy to go and do um so the the, the entertainment side has been a massive money earner um, but then that has also taught us the lessons about how to be robust and reliable and just pop it out of a suitcase and within minutes go deliver some stressful event first time. If you can do that, then guess what? You can operate in the gnarly world of the military and the medical you know, community in dark, snowy, miserable mountains with bad intel and things breaking and whatever. You know, that soldier proof robustness. We've learned that through events. So. Um, so it's been this lovely self-generating kind of whirlwind of lots of stuff going on. And it's not from the sales of the jetpacks per se, right? Because what I, last I saw a, a retail for those for like someone like me or Keith, which isn't going to happen anytime soon. But when it does, I'm going to email you and your team and say I bought one. But it's around 400 grand <laughs> right now. I'm assuming there's not a lot of people. I mean, there's probably a significant amount, but not a whole ton yet who have been able to you know afford these suits. So a lot of your sales sound like they're coming well, from the events and whatnot. Right. So because there's a really big factor here. So not only is it about four hundred thousand uh, dollars, but it's also there's some small print, which is that we don't even sell you at that for four hundred thousand dollars. You can't just walk up to us and even give us twice that. We still won't give you one. You have to learn to fly one with us 
and we have to kind of qualify you to fly. And that's really a polite way of saying we have to see that you're not a complete lunatic and that you're actually sensible. You can't walk into a shop and buy a helicopter and then just have a go and smash it into a tower block or drop it on a crowd of people. Right. for the reasons that I've just made obvious. Um, <laughs> I had to own the responsibility personally of the reputation of what we do. If we're making motorbikes, I could sell you a motorbike. You can get your license and then go and kill yourself or even some pedestrians. And that's a terrible thing, but we're all used to it, unfortunately. If, you know, the moment somebody, you know, hurts themselves or somebody else with one of our pieces of equipment, and that has not happened in five years, yeah. and thousands, well, tens of thousands of flights, We've not even, I don't know, touch wood, I'm touching wood everywhere. Uh, we've not even broken a bone doing this, right? Yes, we've had lots of tumbles, but they've been as far as possible recoverable failures where it's, you know, the energy level is similar to falling off a mountain bike. You know, you can do yourself some damage falling off a mountain bike quite oh, easily. Yeah. And I used to cycle commute across London for, for 14 years. Oh, I try and use that as my benchmark. The moment what we do gets more dangerous than that, I kind of draw a line. So I have to own the reputation of this nor of this unusual form of transport. So we have sold a few, but it's only to people that we trust and know that are going to be sensible with our reputation. And actually, in some cases, we still keep the equipment on our site. So they come and fly it with us when we've set up the you know water location or wherever. So that's really the reason. That's 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 so sick, man. I'm like, I don't know. I don't know about you, Keith, but I'm like a jittery little kid right now. The first time I saw your videos, it just got me so excited. Yeah, it's it's such an incredible invention. It's such an incredible journey. It's such a electric field, I feel like, that you've created because it must be very easy for you to do collaborations as well. Like I saw the one with you and Bear Grylls and I'm sure you get a lot of celebrities yeah. and, and people wanting to do things with you. Have there been any like crazy requests from, I don't know, the Saudi prince or somebody that's like, I want to give you a hundred million dollars and we're going to do some crazy stuff or any stories like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, we've done stuff with um, uh, people like, like Bezos and uh, Zuckerberg and Branson. I met Musk at an event and he wanted to do something just before COVID. We we're going to fly at uh, his school, you know, at Astra and stuff. I, I kind of had the privilege of meeting pretty much everybody. Uh, I was on holiday a couple of weeks ago and two of my team flew in for the Kardashians and delivered that 818 um, uh, tequila bottle. And I mean, right. you know, you name it, we've done some weird stuff. Um, uh, I suppose one of the weirder ones was in the middle of COVID, the, uh, I won't name the Middle Eastern country, but it was, it was a friendly one, but um, it was a slightly crazy one. Uh, and there some guys were over in London. I don't know how they'd come over, but they came and saw it and loved it and said, right, come over and show us and train our special forces and whatever and do a demo. And we're like, yeah, but it's COVID. And they just said, oh, we'll send a plane. So we said, oh, okay, well, that's a way around the COVID problems, I suppose. And so, yeah, I thought I sort of thought it was one of those. Yeah, right. right. You know, we get quite a few things that never really happen as well. Um, anyway, no, they sent a whole C-17, a whole transport plane for us. So in the middle of COVID, we went to a private airfield, uh, drove our seven-ton truck into the back of it because, well, there was lots of room. Um, you can get like two main battle tanks in it, so why not? And they flew us uh, all the way to that Middle Eastern country, uh, then entirely changed their plans. But we had enough gear in the truck to do it, and we spent a mad week out there in the middle of COVID, um, yeah, training the special forces and stuff, which was pretty wild. Wow. I mean, the novelty of being in a C-17 pay after a while, it wears off. Uh, it's very noisy right. and miserable compared to being in a normal plane. And watching our tied down truck buck and roll 
um, whilst we were taking off. Of course, being we all have a sixth sense of humour. We watched endless films of what happens when C-17 cargoes <laughs> break free and how they yeah. basically crash and blow up oh. in a fireball. And we were watching our truck like shaking around like this as oh, we yeah. took off and everything. Yeah, that was an unusual one. Um, yeah, and, and a lot of the military things, you turn up in a, in a, you know, particularly an unusual military country. They're all allied, I'll be clear. Um, but And then they've got these wild ideas and you have to sort of unpick out of that what's actually doable. And you find yourself doing some pretty wild stuff. I've flown around our aircraft carrier. I've, you know, flown off all sorts of different military equipment, done special wild forces exercises. All, um, I've Aircraft carrier, I said. Oh, I've flown around our aircraft carrier. I, I hear you. Yes. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I should I should mention about the height thing. So some people think we can only fly like six feet off the ground because they often see us doing that. That's deliberate. It's not pushing off the ground. A lot of people would get a black mark for their physics, um, you know, qualifications here. When you fire a gun, the recoil in your shoulder is not proportional to what you hit, right? So we're firing a gun of mole air molecules downwards constantly, and that's what's propelling us up. So if you fly off the edge of a cliff, actually you get a bit more power perversely enough because you get less of the hot air bouncing back and going in the engines which yep. degrades the thrust so a lot of people seem to think we, we're only sort of somehow and i don't know how the physics would work sort of bouncing our way along the ground but no we we go low as far as possible simply to manage the risk and from a military medical and entertainment point of view there's really no need to go up um you're just a target or an uninspiring dot uh, that is going to die if you have an unforeseen technical problem. So, um, so no, we, we tend to fly as low as we can all the time. So do you get better fuel efficiency with actually in more open spaces because of that less hot air uh, going back into the turbines? Yeah, I mean, a jet engine is essentially taking air, mixing fuel with it, exploding it constantly. Um, and uh, that expansion of gas is then hosing out of the back of the engine and pushing you that way. Mm -hmm. um, if you put warm air in, the ratio of the expansion is slightly less, right? So you want cold, dense, damp air, mm. and then you get monstrous amounts of power. If you go to 6,000 feet in the Arizona mountains, which we've done, or Johannesburg at 6,000 feet, um, and it's hot, then you get a lot less power. That's why Johannesburg airliners don't take off in the middle of the day, because it's hot and high. Right. Um, so, I mean, it's not really a problem for us. We can just scale the engines a bit bigger to compensate. But yeah, you get better efficiency when it's cold. Have you ever had things go un unintentionally, you know, rubble, rocks, dust, dirt, yeah. like go through the turbines and cause it to malfunction or misfire or something and get a little jerk? Or no, no. I mean, you um, no. we have something called a FOD cover, foreign object and debris cover. It's basically a mesh you have over the engines um, I'm, I'm that idiot, stops so. everything. No, well, no, no. I mean, lots of people uh, have learned that the hard way and uh, whether it's fingers or rocks no. and n none of them are very appreciated oh. in that compressor that's spinning at 120,000 RPM. Uh, I once had an engine cable going one on a test bed. One minute the cable was there and next minute a gust of wind blew it and then there was no cable oh, and the engine no. went from 120,000 RPM to zero in about half a second. That was an interesting observation. Um, so no, that's I mean, that, that's a, it's a bit like running... Uh, it is, yeah. I mean, I mean, letting stuff go in is a bit like running out of fuel. It's, it's an embarrassing reason for crashing. Um, so, no, um, we try and avoid that. But sand and dust, I mean, operating helicopters in deserts, even with filters, is a miserable exercise. Um, they don't enjoy that, so we try and avoid that as much as we can. But, um, yeah, that's solvable. Wow. What a, I wanted to ask you before real quick on the structure, how you were engineering, you, you know, you said you had about a dozen projects going on at one time simultaneously, essentially. Do you, from a business perspective, um, do you kind of compartmentalize each team away from, 
knowing the whole big picture, if you catch my drift, or are you not afraid of those types of things? You have patents and protection for, for yourself against those types of things. How do you structure those um, projects within your own uh, company? Yeah, I, I mean, I'm not, there's no, there's no issue within our team of our, no, I mean, no, I mean, there's no, um, it's not some sort of Manhattan project where, you know, no one knows why, why they're building the widget. No, that, that's quite a nice idea though. But no, I, no, I, I mean, it's, it's not that, uh, complicated system in the sense that you know i've got a you know okay. 20 people or so and they've all got a pretty good in fact as with most teams there's an advantage in most of the team knowing what most of the team is doing so Absolutely. they can raise their hand and go hang on if I, why am i doing this if he's doing that um no but um i try and like like any leader i try and make sure the awareness is constructive but not distracting okay. um you know and again like any leader you have moments where you go oh, damn it why didn't i let them know more about what was going on and uh, it's mostly about coordinating to make sure that our development pathways are in support of things that are coming up. So, um, you know, we might be doing something really big with the World Cup that should be confirmed within a week. And that's wow. suddenly going to see hey. us go to a, um, a huge number of pilots. Yeah, well, I mean, it'd be kind of fun. Um, uh, that that, that number of pilots. Fan, so I'm excited. For oh, that. OK. Well, we 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 I can't go into too much detail, but um that will necessitate having 11 pilots in the air at the same time, which we've not oh, had a reason wow. to do before. So having, having, having all of that, and there are team pilots and um, I'm trying to get a good number of girls in there as well. We've got quite a few female pilots. There's no, never quite as many available uh, candidates and uh, flexible diaries as, as we, and, and <laughs> me too, me that's too. very diverse of you, but I think that's, <laughs> I, I can't, I can't deny your freedom to do that. Can I So uh, that's not really what we're looking for though. Uh, Although okay. I suppose we should have a, yes, we should, we should have, yes. Look, let's, let's back up from that subject, but yes, yes I'm perfectly fine with all that if, you, if we want. <laughs> yes. I am a man. Uh, but it is, it is very cool. We've got, a, we have, we have, we have got a very mixed mixed team of people actually but um uh, anyway so that's going to be an example of something where we have to forward plan the development pathway hmm. and often the military stuff like uh, i mean you're asking about technology developments there's one if you look closely at one of our medical films where there's quite a cool development of legs in the back of the suit so what you can do is you come into land for military or medical you go down on one knee for military you take up a fire position if you then decide you don't want to relocate or exfil you can just pop out of the suit and the suit stays there standing on legs. If you want to get it back on again, you go down on one knee, lean back, put it on and take back off again. It's very cool. Wow. Um, it's such wow. a basic thing, but to get those legs right was driven by a necessity from actually the search and rescue world where they mm. wanted to be able to dump the suit, but in a way where you could easily get it back on again. And um, so, yeah, our, our, our up and coming requirements are often driven by what events are coming up. Okay. That's really incredible. So the future applications of this jet suit, what, what, what can we expect as a consumer of the content in a, you know, just also, I'm going to put this out there. I think one of these days, very soon I'm coming out, I think, cause you have a, uh, an LA hangar here that does the test right. flights and teaches people how to operate these. Me and Keith are going to try and jet out there um, as soon as we possibly can. But for the consumer entertainment side, what types of things can, can we expect potentially in the near future? Like, are there going to be races, obstacle courses? Like, have you guys played around in those uh, areas yeah. yet? Yeah, so w when it comes to flight training, yes, we've got a rig sitting in LA at the moment. COVID's slowed everything down, obviously, but we should quite soon have that set up outside of LA. Um, another one on the East Coast, uh, another one in Spain, another one in Dubai. You know, it's a model that we've honed for relentlessly for four years. Um, so there's that. Uh, now, 
in terms of public facing stuff, the, the really big thing that got squashed a bit by COVID was we were three weeks away from all flying to Bermuda um, to launch the race series. We had all sponsors, we had a load of pilots, we had all the race lights, you imagine like drag race lights going and explosive launches and all sorts of cool stuff and pylons like the Red Bull air races with the planes, but on a smaller, more intimate scale. Oh my God. I mean, it, it, we did some test sort of races and it's just the most epic fun racing against other people. And because it's over water, if you screw it up, you just fall in the water, you float, you right. do a bit of damage to the engines, but it's not the end of the world. Um, that is immense fun. I always said we're going to do that, even if it wasn't a commercial thing, we're going to do it just because it's so much fun. But my real vision is that you've got medics, military people and our private clients all in one amazing kind of race setup, which is being driven by the necessity and the love for doing what you're doing rather than it being sponsored by McDonald's or something. Um, yeah. A bit like NASCAR started with bootleggers testing out their cars and people right. came to watch afterwards. I want this to be driven in that authentic way where we're genuinely meeting as passionate enthusiasts of this, you know, as humans meet machine kind of testing the, the limits. And then people come afterwards rather than, like I say, it be a truly just, you know, done for commercial ad breaks. Um, so that that will be coming. But again, we're so busy at the moment. That's probably going to be next year, I think now. Uh, but it will be the ultimate destination for, for clients that learn with us. Um, that's all coming, definitely. But but a, a lot of the capability is being driven by the medic and military worlds, because, as I mentioned yeah. earlier, the the just just like with most military technology, the burdens, the demands, it's always, you know, faster, quicker starts, more robust, lighter, lift more, all of this stuff. And it's just an amazing world to get right. And it means we can turn up to commercial events right. and just deliver so efficiently. You know, it can t with this latest system, it can just take a few minutes to set it up out of a suitcase and immediately go flying. Wow. It's crazy. Um, and it's just been driven by the burdens of turning up to military events and learning what they require and us then, you know, going and engineering it. What are some of the general capabilities for the military and paramedic? I know there's probably some sensitive things, but what are some of the cooler things that you guys are developing or, yeah. or in the in the works of uh, for those things? Yeah, I, I mean, it, it's worth. So there's there's some often you read this in social media. There's some people who you know bless them bless bless social media commentary that don't really understand the medical military world. I mean, I, I was in the Royal Marines in the UK for six years, so I've got a fair idea of that world. I've learned a lot about the medic world from going and pretending to be one with the actual medics. Um, now the medic world reached out to us and said, Oh my God, we've got a real vision for this. And I was like, well, I can't take people to hospital really with this stuff. I, scaling it to do that is going to be silly and dangerous. Actually, I learned something which I wish I could get to everybody's brain before they go and comment. It's not taking them to hospital, which is the critical thing. It's the first responder. It's the paramedic on a motorbike cutting through the traffic to get to the casualty, to stop their blood loss, to get their breathing going again and to manage their pain and to triage and report back Smart. the condition of the casualty. That is all the priority list. That is what matters. That's just like a battlefield casualty and tourniqueting the, the, you know, the, the missing leg. If you don't do that in five minutes, they're going to bleed out and die. So don't bother calling the ambulance. It's not taking that now tourniqueted patient to hospital. Yes, you'd like to do that within an hour or two, but you've got time. Um, the medic world you know, that we work in is where you've got a you know, cardiac patient on a mountain. You can't get the helicopter in because of fog. Right. And it's an hour and 20 minutes to walk up the mountain. We then fly that same route in three minutes. I mean, it's ridiculous. We just keep them alive because you get there and do a, you know, you see, um, 
you know, a, um, you know, what do you, I'm not a medic, you know, the, the electric thing that gets your heart going and see, I'm like, I say, you yes. know what I'm talking about, but anyway, so that's the medic <laughs> world. Yes. So, so there we go. Yes, exactly. Um, so you can now see, can't you paramedic on a motorbike? That's exactly why would that exist? If it was to take people to hospital, you don't, you see them slinging them across the back of the motorbike, do you? <laughs> anyway. Um, so that works really well. Um, in the military world, again, people make the mistake of thinking you need twin miniguns and you've got to hover above the battlefield and strafe, like, you know, oh, using yeah. your hands and whatever. Right. Yeah, exactly. That's so they think, well, it's obviously useless because we're going to hear you coming and you can't use your hands and you can't sit up with the big guns. And, oh, you know, they just have no idea of how the actual military works. So the military doctrine is fire and maneuver. Right. You are firing aimed shots when you're in cover from sight and to, from enemy fire. And then you're up and moving when there's nobody shooting at you. Right. So you're not running through a field trying to shoot. Right. That's just stupid. If you're doing that, you've really got something wrong or it's all going pear shaped. So this system should be thought of in the military world as simply the maneuver leg of fire and maneuver, but now super fast over any terrain in night or day, cliffs, minefields, rivers, you land and then you take up a fire position again, right? Top cover sniper or whatever. Now that said, we built and it's uh, live, a helmet steered suppression system. So as you're flying in and landing on that ship or taking that building or whatever, if somebody does pop up, you can make the decision to peel away an index or you can go and dump some suppressive capability on the place you need to land. It's really not rocket science. But does that mean you're hovering in complete sight of the enemy in the middle of the battlefield, taking rounds? And no. <laughs> so um, really as a result, we've done endless things. So, you know, I can go into more detail about how, how some of the sort of conops concept of operations work. But suffice Thank to you. say, we have absolutely torn up the rule book in a almost a dozen different scenarios from ambush drills to exfilling from OPs, observation positions mm. to um, drone reconnaissance to, you know, uh, a tactical bound ahead of a roving terror threat in a city when the roads are all jammed. I mean, it's a whole nother podcast right. on what we can do. But it's amazing how yeah. Yeah, the very yeah, yeah. senior leadership get it. The frontline operators get it. The middle layer don't know what box to put it in. So that's been a bit of a delaying factor, but it was the same with the tank and the helicopter. Yeah, that's really incredible. So what I'm hearing is there's kind of like subset specific, um, how would I put it, use cases per industry, we'll call it. Are you customizing suits kind of like a little bit tweaked? It sounds like maybe the core suit is essentially the same, but maybe some modifications for like a holster for a rifle or are are you guys working with things like that too or... Yeah, you, you often see some custom modifications, like you don't need a you know a helmet steered sidearm uh, when you're going in to find a medic casualty. Yeah. <laughs> um, so um, so there are certain customizations. What's quite nice though is actually super reliable, very fast starts, lots of reserve power, ever easier and more comfortable to fly, even better. We used to use heads up systems, oh, it's a waste of time, put a wire in, it's much easier. Uh, you know, all the information system, you'll actually find a lot of them have massive overlap you know if, if you're able to operate in horrendous you know battlefield conditions simulated conditions well guess what turning up on a sunny day in california to deliver that event becomes even easier because it's just an easy walk in the park right are you so you guys are also developing your own software as well or it sounds like you've kind of moved away from that more yeah, hardware be. based more reliable we we have we have our own software to control the system the con- to orchestrate the engines. Each engine has its own inbuilt like firmware brain, mm-hmm. um, which we don't meddle with. We we got that custom built for us. Oh, okay. um, but yeah, we have our own software system. That pendant thing you see if you look closely, that's right. down here. You just glance down and see all your engine data and stuff. That's all ours. 
Um, that's quite clever. It's got quite a lot of interesting fail-safe systems in there now and that have been built up over the years. Oh, wow. Could you blow somebody back with the uh, jet engines? Like if someone popped up and you could just, you know, get back, you know? You can, you, you can do that if you really want to do that. And we've done that with like oil barrels and stuff. Um, oh, wow. Uh, if you want to do that, actually, you need to, and I can't see inside this window, but right. if you, okay, if you're, going to, if you're going to point one arm that way, then you need to, because of physics, point the other arm that way. So you're oh, actually wow. doing that. Otherwise, you'll just go back, you know? True. Newton's laws, you can't escape them. You, you can in Marvel, but you can't with... Uh, you can't with reality. So yeah, actually, if you hold your arms out either way, then the thrust is going both ways. You'll stay still and you'll blow anything either side away from you. Cool. Yeah. Wow. That, that thrust must, mm. must be quite hot. It's funny, right? So um, you can actually put out fires with it. So if you tipped a load of gasoline on the floor, please don't do this, anybody. But if you put a load of gasoline on the floor and we burn diesel and jet fuel, which are the e equally as benign, right? You can put matches out. Again, don't do this. But you can put matches out in diesel or jet fuel. Jet fuel sounds terribly exciting and very explosive. It really isn't gasoline is and uh, but but you can put gasoline on a tarmac floor let's say concrete floor start up this engine point the engine at the floor and it'll just vaporize and blow it away and dry it out beautifully mm. they use jet engines to put out oil fires that velocity of air coming out yes it's hot and yes you don't want to put it on exposed skin but you can you can thrust it across a jean clad leg for a second and you'll just feel a push you won't even feel any heat air has a very low specific heat capacity in other words it carries yep energy very poorly wow. um water is horrendous right that's why a steam burn is awful it'll flay the skin yep. off you whereas a, an air burn it's got no guts so whilst you don't want to disrespect it actually every foot away from the exhaust the velocity and the heat energy drops exponentially so i could point it at your face 20 feet away and it would just be like a warm hairdryer it's amazing and as you come gradually closer you you know it's okay it's going to get more and more aggressive but it's amazing how it's not a problem again it's a misconception people think everything's going to be immediately caught on fire and blow up but that's why people didn't go and build this true that's an interesting point you make because you guys are the first company gravity industries are the first company to successfully produce the jet suit and i don't know of anyone else that has probably even attempted what you have to your capabilities. I'm assuming there, there may be some people trying to mimic what you've done, but you have literally started an industry. Uh, I've seen some like footboard stuff. I've seen some other concepts that mm. seem like, and I'm not trying to toot your There's horn, a few. They don't seem as <laughs> constructed, as engineered, as thought out, and not as successful for sure. So it's really interesting how people conceive you know, I, I could have done that, or I, and I'm not saying that about this, but in general, like the innovative climate, a lot of people, they say the wealthiest place on earth is the graveyard because that's where all ideas go to rest because people don't act on them. And it's really, mm. for me, it's very interesting to see your journey uh, from afar, obviously. We're just meeting here and it's been a pleasure. Uh, I want to be very respectful of your time as well, but it's it's been very interesting to watch your journey the last couple of years because the first time I saw you was just before COVID and I saw a clip on, uh, I think it was Instagram or something. And I was just like, there's yeah. no way this is real. This is CG. This, what? And I did more. Yeah. Digging, it, and it's real. <laughs> it's, it's real. So, so it, it was quite fun for the first year. There was a significant number of people, especially because we launched on April Fool's day, which was a cheeky deliberate oh, thing. Nice. We thought we'd get lots of people like wondering if it was real. That's very wise. Uh, and every now and then you still get people going, yeah, it has to be fake. It has to be cables. Well, We'd be super geniuses if we've done 200 events in, in 38 countries with cables. I mean, th that cable system is pretty, pretty gnarly. Um, but we do make it look really easy. To and the that's cable really. The system that uh, keeps you safe 
that harnesses you in. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, they do exist for movies. And we've just done a movie I can't talk about, literally the pain and pain of death, where ironically, one of my team was being cabled around with the suit off. I'll have great fun sharing that when I'm allowed to, because I'll okay. say, I think I'll take the mickey out of people. I think I'll say, look, we're finally going to reveal. Here's the cable system. Because he's just been beautifully winched around this film set to get to the launch point. And the reason we're doing the movie is because joyously, they reached out and said, we were going to CGI the whole flight thing, but you're doing it for real. So we don't want to bother. We want it. We want it authentic. I can't say any more about the movie, okay. but it's, it's really fun that they've come to us to say that. And actually, when we launched the Iron Man 1 CGI team, I wish I'd kept their details because they, they reached out really early on. The Iron Man 1 guys reached out and went, oh, you know, that scene when Downey Jr. is or, you know, Tony Stark is in the garage, yes. like wobbling around and crashing into all his supercars. And then there's a moment where he sort of suddenly like gets it and stiffens up and looks up and like, oh, I've got it. If you watch on any of our Instagrams, when people learn how to do this, the latest one's my 14 year old when he's still on the tether, but you could see him just look up and like relax. There is a moment where your brain goes, oh, like when your parents let go of the saddle on your bike or when you've got it surfing or, you know, when you're, um, you know, skiing and it's like, ah, I'm handing the keys to my subconscious and I'm never going to give them, you know, ask for them back again. That happens. And they reached out and said, oh, my God, you've actually gone and kind of done what we had to guess it might be like. Um, so, yeah, it, it, it's kind of cool, that intersection between, you know, um, CGI and science fiction and what we've actually gone and done. Uh, but, yeah, there's not really... There is a hoverboard thing, but it has to launch and land from a raised platform. There's only one guy that does it. Right. Um, there is an original jetpack thing, but you know it's been around 15 years, and I think they've sort of exhausted things they can do with it. I think there's just endless things we can do with ours. And I mean, we've even built an electric version of it, and it does fly. Wow. You need lighter batteries to make it useful. But right. um, yeah, I think there's a lot further to go with what we're, we're up to anyway. Are you guys working with Insane. some battery experts and energy experts to try and – get flight times no not really i mean uh, you you always think that right but but if you think about it everybody and his dog wants better batteries right mobile phone people to to electric car people whatever it'll happen they have a much bigger reason to go and spend billions on trying to come up with the best batteries we we just wait until they become more available because yes you can find any number of small research groups that think they've they've got 10 percent more than than everybody else but they'll need another half a million dollars to get by the next six months and probably only one in a hundred of those companies are actually make something that doesn't blow up and actually is reproducible so no we're going to wait and and it is it is a sad fact that even the best batteries out there are pound for pound you know Mm. awful compared to uh, you know fuel Fuel. um so the good news is though that we can run biojet and biodiesel and we have done before we just don't consume very much so it's not really you know we run a couple of Teslas in the UK and they, they have saved more fuel than we burn because um, right. we just burn, don't burn very much. Okay. Um, so, yeah, it, there's, there's a really exciting future as, as different energy storage systems come online. It's truly fascinating, my man. Uh, before we let you go, just take a little moment to breathe. I want you to think back to the younger Richard, you know, maybe right before things popped off, maybe – listening to the naysayers. I'm sure there were a few that you can now just uh, gracefully tell them to fuck off and uh, that <laughs> look at me now type attitude because that's that's where you are. You have literally started an industry. So amazing. But what would you say right now, looking back, because now the grass, you know, you hindsight's always 2020, but that younger Richard probably had a little bit of anxiety. What would you tell that younger innovation and, and innovator right now as some form of 
advice, wisdom, whatever you want to call it, but also for any listeners that are maybe on the journey in your shoes, uh, about to take the leap into something pretty incredible. I mean, it's, it's tricky to look back and say what I would have said to myself, because I wouldn't have said to myself, don't worry, it'll all be fine. Because I, I unless, unless I'm guaranteeing that, I would have said to my future self, well, no, I'm still going to be as paranoid and as diligent and as work as hard as I can to minimize that risk. And actually, it could have been the worst thing to say, don't worry, it'll all work out fine. I then relax and find it doesn't. Um, and, and on that subject, I would say it's probably more useful if I try and offer some guidance to other people trying to go down any journey of doing something novel and different and uncharted. Um, you know, and that's what life is about in my mind, right? It's getting off the sofa and running that 5K park run, you know, or setting up your 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 competitor to Google or whatever. They're all different scales of the same process. They're all like, oh my God, this looks difficult and difficult, you know, difficult and dangerous and tricky and it might not work out. I, I really do mean it that you've got to throw that childlike anything's possible attitude at the problem but at the same time and that and that's great and i think america's brilliant at that europe's terrible at that we're all very very miserable about it all going to work out yeah yes it's all going to work and have that can-do attitude but at the same time and, and we're good at this in britain look at all the things that might go wrong not don't ignore them and imagine scenario plan for as many of those as you can and accept that most of those are going to happen <laughs> a whole load that you never imagined are going to happen can you still get back up again and i mean yeah. safety of course number one reputationally don't piss people off don't leave a trail of upset people or the authorities you know that's for us is go up to ten thousand feet with a base jumping rig well hey get social media thing and then finally wonder why the authorities don't give you any permission we have an amazing relationship with the faa caa oh. military aviation authority because we've never done that stuff mm -hmm. and then the final one is you know financially can you recover from each of your experiments or are you just going to throw everything at one mad idea and hope it works? You know, yeah. hope and risk. You know, I, I just I don't have much respect for people who just throw everything at one idea and go, well, let's just see. Woo, because I read a business book and it said, just believe and it will be great. No, it won't. No, it's a it's a slog. It's a miserable slog of most things going wrong. And you've got to have that almost military like robustness to keep getting back up again uh, and and have that endurance and that's the best thing I can offer, really. Um, it's it's not that blind business book kind of naivety of just, you know, read the one entrepreneur who did have their first idea succeed. That's rubbish. That just doesn't happen. That's that's an incredible way to, to put it and to uh, wrap this one up, man. We You are literally the real-life Iron Man. Uh, we can't thank you enough yeah. for coming on the Call to Action podcast, Richard. This is – I want to – I could sit here and listen to you talk for probably three hours, but obviously you live a very well. Come and have a go sometime. You have to jump yes. in. Yes. Come and yeah. come and get clipped in and have a go. Because we'll be if you right like there. it now, there's three levels of this. You see it. You see it online, and yes, it does look pretty cool online. You see it live. That is, no matter what I say to you, there is nothing that can prepare. It's that air show type whack in your chest, and your brain goes, "No, that has I to believe. be fake." When you'll just see people there, and and then the final stage is actually get inside it, and then realize it's actually really calm and and hmm. simple. Those are the three levels. You've only done level one, so yes. uh, and I have <laughs> you have to work through the other two levels. Yeah, so I'm excited, man. So thank you again. Let's uh, get there. We're, cool. we're, we're going to link everything in the description, and, and man, just continue watching this journey, and maybe one day we can uh, have another podcast somewhere uh, down the line when you're doing some crazy stuff, and we can uh, touch base and, and update the, the listener base. But thank yeah, you we'll again. do one on site. Yeah, that'd be cool. Thanks, guys. Thanks very much. Nice to talk to you.